You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. And we are your stupendous, wonderful, magical hosts. And welcome to episode 15. One five. There's a Taylor Swift song about that. I knew you were going to go there. It's literally called 15. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we are focusing on the seven... Also a Taylor Swift song. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. You're not going to say anything about the name Taylor? in those. Taylor Swift has that same name. Okay. That look, literally took about 30 seconds to get 15 <laughs> Taylor Swift references in there. I told you. Yeah. We are magical. <laughs> that is exactly what I meant. <laughs> this book's a popular one, and I cannot wait to talk about it. But first, Kimmy, what have you been reading? Lots of stuff, it seems like. It's been you a while been, since we recorded. It has, and you've been checking them off. I, I'm currently reading Nothing to See Here. Which is also something that we say all the time. Yes, that's why it's funny. It is. I'm enjoying that. That's an audiobook. Um, I'm reading Good Talk, which is a graphic novel. I think you would like it. I might let you borrow it after. I like that you're reading a graphic novel. Uh, I can send you the review as to why. I don't know that I'll read more, and neither does the person who recommended it. Oh. But it's good. Okay. It's like it's it's a memoir. Oh. Yeah. Different? Yeah. Um, what is nothing to see here about? Um or what kind of book is it, I should say, instead of It's a like very vaguely magical realism. It's like one thing is so I don't even want to say magical. It's about uh this girl who's like obscure, long lost friend says she has a job for her and it's nannying simple enough right mm-hmm. but the kids she's nannying catch on fire when they get mad cool yeah that reminds me of something but i can't put my finger on what it is like a oh 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 uh <laughs> the incredibles <laughs> yeah 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 okay <laughs> it's jack jack sure yeah yeah oh, jack jack yeah the jack of all trades exactly Okay, so good times, yeah. good times. Yeah, yeah. I love how you always talk about books on our movie podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what have you been reading? It's Disney. That's fair enough. Okay, that's fine. Um, I read A Court of Thorn and Roses, or as you lovingly refer to it as Akatar. <laughs> I didn't know other people didn't refer to it as Akatar. <laughs> I now only refer to it yeah, as Akatar. As one should. Yes. <laughs> Um, even if none of the other books in the series are Akatar. That's okay. It'll always I be Akatar. Yeah, that's yeah. fine with me. I am obsessed. I am late to the SJM train and I am going to be the conductor soon. As long as the other books uh live up to the hype. I heard not we'll all see. of them do. Uh, yeah. But yeah. you know, we can't all be the prisoner of Azkaban. Some Correct. of us are the Chamber of Secrets or the half or no. What's the, or the Order of the Phoenix. Or of the Phoenix, yes. Um, <laughs> I agree with that. 
and it's okay. Not every book has to be uh, a banger. But the series, <laughs> but the series as a whole can still be really good, even yeah. if every book is not a banger. Yes, yes, it can. So um, I like that. I'm also listening to an audiobook, The Perfect Marriage, which I'm almost done with, and I'm obsessed with, and I want to see how it ends really, really badly. So. I'm loving my audiobook life, let me tell you. You are so against it, and I turned your ass. <laughs> my ass is turned. Your ass is turned. Turned up. <laughs> yeah, very perky ass. <laughs> Anyways. So we will always, at least one of us, post reviews for these books <laughs> and more. Why are you laughing? Uh, are you thinking about your turned ass? Always. Oh, yeah. Are you not? I am now. <laughs> um, so our Instagrams are at Katie's Lost Chill and at Kenny's Lost Chill. The Instagram for our podcast at The Lost Chill is going to focus on this week's book, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo this week. We sincerely hope you jump on over there and talk with us about this book. But before I forget, I want to remind you this episode will contain spoilers. Still worth listening to, though, because we are awesome and insightful. Very insightful. And uh, there are also some trigger warnings of racism and homophobia. But let's make like a movie premiere and unroll that red carpet and start the after party. Oh, I love recording days. Me too. It's been so long. It has. I'm a little bit behind lately, but it's okay. It's okay. No one knows because we are so dedicated. Because we are in the future. We are. Or in the past. I don't know. Time's irrelevant when it comes to podcasts. Are we Kimmy and Katie out of order? <laughs> I want to read that book real bad called Una Out of Order, if you're wondering. That's what that was a reference to. Oh, I thought it was a reference to my Instagram posts where I posted books out of order. Yeah, that was rude. Yeah, you're welcome. Una's allowed. You're not allowed. I've never heard of this book, though. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Hmm. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right. So speaking of Instagram, Kimmy recently posted a good review on Instagram. And so it just so happens that she was reviewing another one of TJR's books, Daisy Jones and the Six, which we talked about. And I'm going to give a shout out to one of our friends who uh, left me a message on our Instagram, our friend Cherie, who listens to our podcast, who... Uh, listened to Daisy Jones and the Six on the audiobook yeah. at our recommendation. So, hi, Sheree. Yeah, hi. Um, so, Kimmy posed a question asking if you read the acknowledgments at the end of the book. I bring this up because I never read the acknowledgments. But for this segment in the show, I thought, what the hell? Because of her post, Kimmy, you will be happy to hear that I did take away the most wonderful bit of information. And I'm sure you already knew this, being such a big fan of the acknowledgments. <laughs> but TJR was pregnant with her daughter when she wrote this book. So she finished this book a couple of days before giving birth to her little girl. And that's pretty badass. That was way more productive than I ever was <laughs> while pregnant. Same. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go full Kimmy and just quote the acknowledgments directly. Not surprising. Because I love how she worded it. Um, I won't do the whole thing. She had two full paragraphs dedicated to her daughter and the acknowledgments of the book, but wraps them up with what Evelyn Hugo would say to her. Lila, go out there, be kind, and grab what you want out of this world with both hands. 
And then TJR continues, well, she might not have put that big of an emphasis on being kind, but as your mother, I must insist. <laughs> I loved that part. <laughs> it's so cute. And I just love when the like the author's characters are so real to them and they get so attached to their characters like way more than even we do. Yeah. It's so cute to me. Yeah. No, I mean, they become part of their lives for so long. They immerse themselves in their lives, so they have to. Absolutely. I will still rely on you to tell me interesting things from the acknowledgments. I love them. She had another one. Um, I think a lot of times why people might not like them is because it just like seems like random names. Yeah. And you, and you don't get the inside jokes and yes. connections. But even one, um, it was Taylor Jenkins Reid. She was talking about all these people who I don't know. But she's like, you guys are like the cast of Friends to me. And then I could just never pick a favorite. (laughs) Was that in Daisy Jones? Oh, because I didn't see that. I only read the one in... uh, 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 Evelyn? Yeah. Yeah. I I read them all. I just love them. So many people have so good ones. And I feel like we love their writing already, for the most part, if we just read their book. So that, I mean, probably we'll love what they have to say about those they love. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, and, you know, I probably should start, but I won't. You always learn so much. You do. But y- you do specifically <laughs> because, uh, like, even when you've read Chris and Hannah's. The Four Winds. Mm-hmm. When you read that, you learned all about the... Sonora Babs. Thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it, there, there is a lot to learn in there. I just don't have patience for it. Sorry. I'll lean on you for that. I like, I would feel incomplete if I didn't read it. Yeah. This is where we differ and that's okay. (laughs) Uh, I will have, you know, I learned from that Instagram post that literally no one else reads the comments or the acknowledgements. Maybe every now and then someone will, but it's very rare. Like hardly anyone does. Just me. If somebody wrote a book that I knew, I would definitely be looking for my name in the acknowledgements. Just saying. I'd read them then. Oh, oh, you. That's it. Well, to all the authors listening, as I know you are, hoping to get featured on this show. I did see there in there, though, that she did give a shout out to all the peeps on social media sharing all of her stuff. Yeah. So. So you found your name. Technically, I found my name. Okay. Well, authors, I read your acknowledgments, even if no one else does. So write them for me. Give me a shout out. And don't forget Katie, too. My name too. is Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y. K-A-T-E-Y. She won't read it unless I tell her her name is in there. She says she will, that she'll look for her name. <laughs> I've are, met her. We are like Kate and Tully, one word. <laughs> oh. So currently, TJR has six books out, and another book, Malibu Rising, is scheduled to be released this summer. And from what we understand... Uh, it has ties into Evelyn Hugo's story. So we're excited. We have the arc. We should be reading it soon. And we are going to be doing an episode in June about it. Do you know what the tie is already? You've told me the tie. Oh, <laughs> did you know before I told <laughs> you? No, <laughs> you told me. Oh, you. So back up. I literally read everything in a book. Everything. My Kindle. The copyright. Oh, I flip past that. I got to make sure there's nothing there. 
The candle opens like page one. I always have to flip back to the very beginning to the cover to make sure I don't miss anything. I don't read it. I don't know why I do it. I flip through the table of contents without reading, flip through the copyright. I do read the dedication, but sometimes it will skip a quote, which I don't like. I need to see the quotes. Obvi. But then I read everything after with the exception of excerpts from other books because I don't want to get attached too soon. I'll read it all together when it's time. But so in addition to acknowledgments, um, there's often like book club help questions and stuff like that. Um, Sometimes there's even little artist interviews. And after Daisy Jones and the Six, there was an artist interview Q&A. And so that's... She did touch on this there and how there was like a little thread connecting them. So it started with Evelyn, Daisy, and now Malibu Rising. They are three that are also linear, being that Evelyn is set in Hollywood mainly in the 50s and 60s. And then Daisy Jones is mostly on the Sunset Strip in the 70s. And now Malibu Rising is going to be in Missouri in the 80s. Wow, that is a drastic change. I know. I wonder why she even put Malibu in the name. It's crazy. Just kidding. It's set in Malibu. <laughs> gotcha. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so uh, TJR says the main character in that one is related to a character who appears in both The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo and Daisy Jones and the Six. So that's fun. When we talk about that character in this episode, I'll bring up how he or she is referenced in Daisy Jones. Dun, dun, dun. This novel begins with a news article talking about how mega movie star Evelyn Hugo is going to be auctioning off many of her dresses, estimating this will raise around $2 million. This sets the stage for exactly just how famous Evelyn is. Then chapter one starts with Evelyn Hugo requesting a specific no-name writer, Monique Grant, to interview her for a magazine article. It becomes apparent rather quickly that Evelyn is wanting to give a tell-all about her infamous seven husbands and the true reason behind all of them. But what remains a mystery is why she specifically wants to share it with Monique. Dun-dun-dun. So... Katie originally wrote a slightly different synopsis. Okay. Before you share this, <laughs> okay. I am going to share. I read this book five months ago before we decided to do this as an episode. And that being said, I now feel Kimmy's pain where she says, when you read a bajillion books, <laughs> you can't always keep them straight. And I'm now feeling that pain because... Well, maybe last year, when I didn't read as many books as I have this year, I could have probably definitely been able to recall a lot of things, a lot more things from this book. I definitely struggled to remember um, a lot of the plot from this book. So I apologize about (laughs) any of the holes that I have in this episode It's only been five months, but it feels a lot longer than that, unfortunately, even though the feelings I had are still there, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And that's, that's why I'm okay with rereading. And like, even especially the Night Circus, I remember how that book made me feel, even if I remembered hardly any of specifics. So maybe down the road, I might be more open to rereading things. Do not quote me on that. This is a recorded line. I know this is a recorded line. (laughs) I said maybe. Underline, asterisk, italicize, bold, 
exclamation point on the maybe. Okay, that's fair. So, <laughs> that being said, her original synopsis and what she had told me about the book forever ago that I held on to because I never forget anything. No, she doesn't. The way she basically portrayed it to me was that Evelyn Hugo was just forever eternally unhappy with this whole like line of men until she finally fell in love like was in love with a woman and they just set up something with a gay couple where they each looked like they had a heterosexual marriage but it was really just them together but fooling everyone but when i told you that i was also in the middle of it okay but the synopsis you told me also matched that because that's what i remembered (laughs) so so this whole time i was like okay i already got this book like that's pretty predictable almost i guess in a way yeah and so then that happens and i look and i'm like i still got 50 percent left and she made me seem like that was the conclusion and so it went all these different places and we will jump into that yes but there was a bigger twist in this book that made me so a twisty. lot more i thought grace was gonna be her lover <laughs> evelyn's lover mm-hmm. do you remember who grace even yeah, is her okay. assistant. yeah i um, thought it was gonna be like su- surprise there's my lover over there who just made you that killer latte. <laughs> that didn't happen. I remember that much. Oh, okay. All right. So we'll get a refill and let you listen to a fun ad, but not before a super cool joke. Super cool. Super cool. All right. So <laughs> we're on the subject of marriages today, right? Yes. All right. So I'm at a cocktail party the other night, pre-COVID, I guess. You have a way with telling jokes. <laughs> I do. I'm just, a terrible... Just slip it into I, the conversation. I, I am the worst joke teller. Okay. Not even like bad jokes, but like <laughs> jokes in general. I always mess it up so bad. Anyways, shoot your shot, kid. <sighs> I'm at a cocktail party the other night. Pre-COVID times, I hope. Pre-COVID times. Are you masked up? Masked up, double masked. Oh, yeah. kinky. Yeah. And one woman, I overheard her say to another lady, aren't you wearing your wedding ring on the wrong finger? And the other lady goes, yeah, I'm married to the wrong man. <laughs> oh, that's awkward. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. Without a doubt, you are currently enjoying the pure hilarity and delight while listening to the Lost Chill podcast. But I know, in about an hour or so, that old familiar sinking feeling will creep in. What do you even do each week after you finish listening to the latest episode of the Lost Chill? You miss the crazy shenanigans, the silly hootenanny, the general hullabaloo? If only there was another podcast you could listen to that had all those things. Well, have I got some good news for you. There is, and it's called the Death Metal Disco Podcast, hosted by our friend James, who talks about whatever the heck he pleases. We can promise that you will be absolutely tickled as he rambles on about anything and everything. Again, it's the Death Metal Disco Podcast. That's death as in the opposite of life, metal as in a genre of music that Taylor Swift has not gotten into yet, and disco, the place where some have been known to panic at. Be sure to check it out, and be sure to let James know that Katie and Kimmy sent you. Enjoy!
As the title gives away, Evelyn had seven husbands, all of which were extremely different men. Who was your favorite husband and why was he your favorite husband? For reference, we can go through the, the list of men okay. that she had. And I will also, uh, I think it would be fun. So every time she was telling us about a different husband, they all had an adjective or two in front of their name. Yeah. First of all, do you think Evelyn gave Monique these adjectives or do you think ad- Monique came up with them? I think probably uh, Evelyn gave them. Okay. Because I think that they fit their personality. What do you think? I think that Monique gave it to him. I think she got the explanation and then she was like, okay. And then like it was kind of... This is how he was portrayed to me. Mm, Yeah. I could see that. It could go either way. Okay. So first we have poor Ernie Diaz. Poor Ernie Diaz. So this one married her when she was 15 years old. She lied about her age. Yeah, and but her but he had to have known she was still young because she needed her dad dad to sign the marriage license, which her dad had no problem because he didn't want to be a father anymore, right? And so basically, he was her ticket out of Hell's Kitchen in New York, yes, to Hollywood, yes. And so she basically used him for a ride, and then she was there, and as soon as she was on the rise in the movies, she divorced him. Harry kind of insinuated that, you know, to get you promoted, we need you to start dating other stars. So can you take care of the situation at home? Uh When do you think she would have divorced him if he hadn't done that? I don't know if she ever would have. Do you think it would have been nice to, like, have someone that, like, was stable in there? Or do you think he would have been sick of having a working wife making more money than him? I think that his man card was a little bit challenged with her. Yeah, I think so. Even though at first I kind of felt pretty bad for him uh, when she was told to break up with him. I was like, that's really messed up that they're interfering with her personal life so much. Like that, yeah. And that they have so much of a pull with that. And I was like, that's really messed up and like that's really mean to do. But then... He was kind of a jerk in the sense that he was kind of the macho male. But that was also the time. Oh, I never saw him as macho. The the macho male is like the... He had a problem with his wife making more money than he did. That sense. Not like in other senses of macho male. That's what I mean by that. I don't know. I think it's still messed up either way. Either way you look at it, that the studio had so much of a pull in her personal life. (laughs) Yeah. Which I'm sure still happens. To I just thought he wanted someone more traditional. And even if it wasn't like a monetary value type of thing of her making more money than him, mm-hmm. I think he would have gotten to the point of like, really, we need to go out on a Friday night to another movie premiere when we have kids and we need to live this flashy way, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't think he was all about the horse and pony show, these big events and all that kind of thing yeah it takes a certain kind of person i think to live that life and i don't think he was about that no i think it would have gotten old for him real quick Uh so anyway she left him as soon as the studio told her but then she believed she fell in love i was very hopeful for this one even after the title (laughs) yes so So this was the second husband so i wasn't really picking up on the foreshadowing yet okay the title yes so the title for this one is god damn don adler and if you think about it god damn 
could have been good. God damn, Dot Adler. <laughs> it's true. It could have. I'm just saying. <laughs> I didn't even think of it potentially as being that way. <laughs> because I could. I like it. I like it, though. She was very attracted to him on so many levels. She thought of him kind of as an equal in both her career. She thought he was a good friend. Mm-hmm. She was very sexually attracted to him. Mm-hmm. And then there was that line that broke my heart. We were married for two months before he started hitting me. Oh, and then later she gives that piece of advice of be wary of men with something to prove. This was a tough one. Because even though this was a fictional character, Taylor Jenkins Reid has this magical way of writing characters who feel so real. And the same way with Daisy, the same way with Evelyn, you think that these fictional characters existed at one point in history. And the way that she wrote, especially the way that she wrote Don and Evelyn's relationship, because I feel like it may have been just what I'm speculating. It may have been typical for the time. And I think that's why it seems so real to me. And that's why it seems so heartbreaking too. It absolutely was heartbreaking. <sighs> it was, it was a hard one. After goddamn Don Adler, we have God damn. No, it was a bad goddamn. Oh, sorry. Now I'm so confused. I just wanted to say that again, honestly. I know. I know. So then number three, there's the gullible Mick Riva. I say Riva. That one was, spoiler alert, after she had already found love with her bestie, Celia St. James. And basically, the, the paparazzi were thinking that they were getting a little too comfy. So she was like, oh, I'll throw him off the scent and just get married to some dude. Whatever. And so that was this guy, and she basically knew what he wanted, knew the kind of guy he was, and, you know, what sex meant to him. So she played the game long enough that he would agree to, like, full-on get married just so he could have sex with her. And then they got it annulled quickly. So this was all, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly. So she's on three marriages. Correct. All before she's, like, what, 23 or something yeah. like that? Well, when the first one starts at 15. Right. You know, moves quickly. Yeah. And I mean, these are like one after another after another. And the sanctity of marriage is completely lost on her. Right. Yeah. And, you know, even by marriage number three, it's completely gone for her. Yeah. That was so interesting to me to like know what the bottom line was, but that she wanted and needed the marriage and for it to be more than just a hookup. Mm-hmm. And it's like, obviously, the sanctity to him was gone. To Mick? Yeah. Yeah. To be like, eh, I want a good lay tonight. Yeah. Whatever. So, yeah, I'll do this. It's nothing. I can take care of it in the morning. It ain't no thing. Yeah. So, Mick. Did you want to say something about him? You know what he does a little, a few years later? What does he do? He throws a party. Does he? With his four siblings? Or no. I guess three siblings. No, they're his children. Oh, they're his children. Oh, I didn't realize Because that. this is in the 50s. That's set in the 80s. Ah. So Mick is the key. It. So no, what Mick does is after he hits and quits Evelyn Hugo, he then throws a party and our friend Daisy Jones arrives. 
No shit. So yeah, this is at the party. Uh-huh. And so Mick has a history of uh, having parties get out of control. And so this is the one where Billy goes to get her because she missed a recording session. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she is so out of her mind on drugs that she is like stepping on glass and not feeling it. And in that book, Billy struggles with his addiction. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the time it's really meaningful to him and how he realizes that drugs will never let go of him because he doesn't say like, wow, like look how terrible that is that she's like that. He goes like, man, that girl knows how to have a good time. Which was such a crazy thing to say. And he even, then he wrote a song about her that was like, dancing barefoot in the snow, can't cold can't touch her high or low. She's blues dressed up like rock and roll, untouchable. She'll never fold. That's beautiful. I'm a big Daisy Jones and the Six fan. I know all their songs. Just kidding. So that's what he does. And so then it's Mick's daughter in Malibu Rising. So that's the connection is Mick. Hold on, Mick. hold on. Say that again. Mick's daughter is who? In Malibu Rising. Mick's daughter. How does that relate to the party? So in Evelyn Hugo, she marries him for a night. Yeah. Gets in an old. Yeah. And Daisy Jones the Six, Mick just throws a party and Daisy Jones is there. And oh, so Daisy Jones drugs. has nothing to do with Malibu Rising. No, it's just Mick who has something. Okay. Mick is the Mick thread. Mick is just the... Okay. Mick is the thread, but he's not anything big in any of them. Got it. I mean, okay. I don't know how big he is in Malibu Rising yet. Okay. That makes more sense. I, I'm sorry. I was trying to put Daisy Jones into Malibu Rising as well. Oh, no, no, no. I thought she was because, like the baby mama or something. Yeah, no, because it's like 50s, 60s, 70s, and then Malibu Rising is in the 80s. Okay. So I'm assuming they're just his kids. Then we get to Clever Rex North, which I found him to be very interesting. Because basically, this is Evelyn's Hugo first marriage by agreement. Mm-hmm. Of we are getting married for appearances only. We will not share a bedroom. We will not have a physical relationship. You can do whatever you want, but you better be discreet. Like it has these rules, right? Yeah. And they were in some movies together, and I can get the marketing scheme. But the reason I had a hard time with this is I don't know what was truly in it for him of why he would even do that. Because he got to sleep with whoever he wanted, and he was being attached to Evelyn Hugo and had the fame and fortune. So, like, just the marketing aspect yeah. then? Yeah. Okay. He had his name attached That's enough? To All right. Yeah. That, that's what people like him want. And he's still got to go put his willy in others. So did Don. Don was also equivalent to Evelyn. He was not. Okay, so you're saying Rex was a few rungs down? Yeah. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. So this relationship stressed me out. Why? I don't like somebody having something over me like this. I would be constantly stressed that my secret would get out. Who had something over who? He had something over her. What? That this was basically just a marriage for appearances. I don't think that, that it was wasn't something... a real marriage. I don't think that was something to hold over her. You don't think so? No, because he was the same. He was equal in it. I guess. I don't know. Mm, I guess. Especially without knowing her reasons either. Yeah, he never did find out. But I don't know. It's still sketchy. I would be constantly looking over my shoulder and it's not a good feeling. So, anyways, this does not work out for Evelyn. No. She probably could have been good keeping up appearances forever, but Rex was chasing tail, and then he did what dudes do. He fell in love. Well, he got a girl pregnant. Yeah. He didn't fall in love. <laughs> he pretended he did. 
I'm sure he did That's eventually. what he told her. I'm sure he did eventually, but he knocked her up first. You don't know. So he had to leave and go get his baby mama a ring. Yeah. So then Evelyn was single once again Which for was a whole failed scandal. marriages. Yep. That was a whole scandal. So then number five is brilliant, kind-hearted, tortured Harry Cameron. This one hurt. I felt bad for him. He lost his love. You're jumping way ahead. I am jumping way ahead. So he's tortured. So when Evelyn moved to Hollywood, yeah. one of her very first best friends was Harry Cameron, the producer. She finds out rather quickly that he is a gay man, and they stay best friends. Basically, it is revealed that Harry Cameron is in love with John Braverman. Is that his name? Yes. Who is coincidentally married to the girl that Evelyn is in love with, Celia St. James. So they decide that they should get married, Evelyn and Cameron. And then this is where Katie just wants the book to end. No, I like the... There's another part where... Okay, well, this is where she told me it ended. Because I was in the middle of it. Um, Because I didn't know anything past this. These two couples were married for appearances. so They looked like heterosexual heterosexual couples. Heterosexual. (laughs) (laughs) But really, it was... You know, all just to distract everyone, and it was really the two couples being able to live as they wanted without anyone knowing. They basically looked like two couple best friends who did everything together. But interestingly enough, Harry Cameron never once actually wanted a girl physically, sexually, but he wanted a life and the baby. So him and Evelyn had a baby. The good old-fashioned way. And their lovers were okay with that-ish. And they raised them as a quad It wasn't weird, though, like Katie's making it sound right now. But I don't know what to call it. That's why I'm making it sound weird. No, it was raised like he, like she was Harry and Evelyn's daughter. With auntie and uncle. Yeah. Yeah. And all was well. So I, I was worried about that one, I will say. About the kid? No. About the... Double lovers, like, that's putting a lot... Like, so, I guess I was worried in the beginning because Harry was just, like, in love. And I guess I didn't know the level of commitment. It seemed, because we weren't getting Harry's side of the story, it seemed like that's just who he was attached to at the moment. So I was like, oh, that's going to go real bad real quick if his relationship doesn't work out and theirs lasts or something. Like, It was definitely a risk on both sides, I think. Yeah. Because they, it could have been either side that didn't work out. And then all of a sudden, you're kind of stuck. stuck. Yeah. I don't know what would have happened if one of them didn't work out. Like, yeah. what do so you do? That that worked out very well for it the did. book. So, it did. I'm glad that they were all copacetic during that time in their life. Until. Until. Until an actress had a sex scene in a movie. Which was a little bit silly. I'm glad you agree. I'm glad you agree. I mean, I guess for those times it was a little bit risque. But overall in 2021, looking at it, you know, 60 years later, 70 years later, it seems silly. It does. Very silly. Because it's not like she actually had sex with him. Right. But just, it was weird how, I guess I have a hard time understanding that 
level of jealousy because it was made very apparent Maybe throughout the book. Well, and Evelyn was also confused by it that it wasn't like jealous of other people. It was, I'm jealous of your heterosexual side, basically, for lack of a better word. So Evelyn Hugo is bisexual, and she Mm -hmm. comes out and says that point blank. And I guess maybe there wasn't an opportunity with other women, and there never was another woman. Yeah. But but, so Celia was always jealous of the men. You know, maybe, and I thought about this while I was reading it, because maybe she was more jealous of the aspect that Evelyn could be out in the open with the men. And they had to hide their relationship. And it was natural for a man and a woman to be together. It would have been hard to be homosexual in those times. Just because everyone, like, it felt like the world was against you. Uh And so I'm sure that there were many times that Celia, even if she didn't fall in love, she had strong feelings for someone who couldn't follow through. And who, it was too much. I don't want to risk this. It's too scary. I can't completely go. I want to be normal, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I want a family. I want to do what's expected of me. And so she probably had a time or two of heartbreak of someone she thought had feelings for her who just went back to men. It would have been hard to accept that your wife likes both men and women and not have that fear of them wanting to turn back completely towards men. Yeah, I bet it was a huge fear. Especially because, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is it Cecilia or Celia? So her real name is Cecilia Jameson. She changed it to Celia St. James. Yeah, okay. So Celia was complete lesbian. She wasn't bisexual at all, correct? Mm -mm. So when you're completely gay in that time, you don't have that option of men. You don't have that option to ha- have that quote-unquote normal relationship in the 50s and 60s and have people not judge you in that way and be open with your love life and have that freedom. That I, think, I think that's truly what she craved was freedom to let her love show. Yeah. She couldn't hold her hand in public. She couldn't kiss her in public. She couldn't show her affection at all in public. And I can't even imagine that. No, that sounds terrible. It does. I can't even imagine. Like, you know, I love to put us in other people's shoes. Yeah. And like, so just like imagine that as a straight couple. Like, that's how I get so much of my reassurance. Mm-hmm. You know, for my husband is him, you know, kissing me on the forehead or squeezing my hand on the grocery line, like those tiny things. And so I, it would be hard to completely act like it was nothing yeah. and to like even separate. Like I would just be like chanting in my inner dialogue the whole time. Like we're in public. We can't show. We're in public. We can't show. Yeah. Like at least Evelyn had the option. the option to go back to men. And I think that that's maybe why Celia was so threatened Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by men coming in to take her quote unquote from i can't nobody can see my air quotes here going on but (laughs) i can you can (laughs) threatened that a man was going to take her and i think that's maybe why she got so scared and so upset when the sex scene occurred that even though they didn't actually have sex that the thought of her being on the big screen doing this 
I will say on one hand, I have had such prime, huge opportunity to date lots of actors. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. I could never... A-listers? Yes, all the A-listers. Oh, okay. I could never date them because I, I would not want to watch that ever. Yeah, I've always ever. thought about that. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I've, I've actually... Oh, that crosses my mind often. Yeah. Especially couples who have been together a long time mm-hmm. and who are both actors. Right. And but then, no, that's the thing though. Like I couldn't do it, but I'm not an actor. Yeah. Like Celia kind of had to know, especially being a lesbian, of how awkward and uncomfortable and not truly romantic or real love scenes are. Yeah. And so I feel like she should have been more understanding. I personally wouldn't, so I'm not going to do it. But it's a little hypocritical to be like, oh, yes, I'm an actress, but no, don't do that love scene too realistically. However, yes, love scenes, from what we know, from the behind the scenes that we know, love scenes are terribly awkward because you have the crew, you have the cameras, you have all of that watching But co-stars do always end up hitting up Brangelina. But love scenes that were explicit as what they were detailing in the book did not happen often in this time. This was very... I feel like she mentioned it had like an X rating. Yeah. Which is crazy that it even like got anywhere. Like for us, it's like R or porn site. PG-13. Right. Like, (laughs) well, no, like, yes, that scene now would maybe be PG-13. But like if it's explicit enough to be X... It wouldn't go anywhere, be mainstream or hit theaters. It would just be straight up porn. But from what I gathered from what they were describing, it would probably be like a PG-13 rating today. Don't you think? Or am I just... No. You don't think so? You I think, think it would have been R. Yeah. I think maybe... I think maybe her titty movie with Max Gerard, the first one, uh-huh. that... That she like perfectly like panned out just until the edge of the nipple. That would have been PG thirteen. Yes, I think this one would have been R. Um, is there even X ratings anymore? Not on public movies that hit theaters. I didn't think that was a thing. That's anymore. why I'm saying it's just straight up yeah. porn now. Yeah. I didn't think that Nothing. was a thing anymore. No, I've never even seen in real movie theaters NC seventeen. I've seen trailers that are NC seventeen. Because they haven't had an actual rating yet. This is going to be our longest episode ever. We're on the first fucking question. So, and then there's disappointing Max Gerard, who who directed the titty movie, but then later wanted her, but then he liked the idea of her instead of her. Fuck that guy. And then the seventh one is the agreeable Robert Jameson. Does that last name sound familiar? Oh, yes, it is. The brother of Celia St. James slash Cecilia Jameson. So, that was a lot. A little tangency. Tangenty. I can't talk tonight. I'm sorry, everyone. It's It's hard enough as normal. I'm so sorry. Who was your favorite husband? It's definitely Harry Cameron. You're so predictable. I knew you were going to say that. He broke my heart. I thought you hated feelings shut and pain up, and sadness. Shut up, shut up, <laughs> Tuesdays with Maury, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Anyways, you're a little predictable, even though you try to throw everyone off the scent by saying, I hate feelings and sadness. My favorite one is the sad one. Who was your favorite? 
Robert. Why? Because he loved his sister that much. It was someone they could trust and someone who also knew Celia and he would do anything to protect her. I appreciated him. I will say I liked Harry. His story broke my heart with John Braverman. But he had a lot of flaws too. He was kind of an alcoholic, especially after John died. Kinda. He was. He was. I mean, he got into an accident, which we'll talk about in a second. Overall, I would say between Harry and Robert. Yeah. It's a tie, I think, between those two because Harry was pretty flawed towards the end when he became an alcoholic. Harry was very flawed. And he wasn't really being a good dad. Evelyn Hugo lived her life in the public spotlight as a blonde bombshell vixen actress. Is that enough adjectives for you? But for a lot of her life, she was hiding her true love and who she really was. For the majority of this time, she was living two lives. When we meet her with Monique, she wants to come clean, take ownership for her mistakes, and the things that happened during that time that she had wished turned out differently. What do you think about this? Well, remember that first little book that we read, The Midnight Library? This kind of reminded me in that sense that she had a lot of regrets that she wanted to make right, especially with Monique. She had a lot of regrets. (sighs) Evelyn was, she lived a good life. Isn't this what your poetic justice is always about? Your, when have I ever mentioned poetic justice? I guess not poetic justice. You said that. I just want to say that all night, apparently. (laughs) Do you just like that phrase? I like it. So, she had a lot of regrets, but she had a good life, and she went out on her own terms. She was already terminally ill. It's not like she was just killing herself because of those regrets. She was killing herself because she was ill. I don't know. Love is complicated. Life's weird. For the first part of the book, I truly felt myself feeling bad for Evelyn, Her father abused her, and when she finally found a husband she genuinely loved, he started physically abusing her as well. Evelyn decided she wasn't going to put up with this and began to stick up for herself. So now, instead of feeling sad for this poor girl who was abused by different men, I started to feel proud of her and began cheering her on. What did you think about when she went from being the person who was being abused to the person who was then manipulating people. No, I found that to be truly realistic. To a degree, honestly, it also broke my heart to do that. Yeah. Because when you're manipulating people, there's a wall there. And you're not ever feeling close to someone. Yeah. It's pretty isolating. It's kind of that thing where if I'm not controlling the situation, I'm getting controlled. Not necessarily people are out to get you, but that people are out to hurt you or that you'll be the victim unless you take control of the situation and become the manipulator. So to be in that position to me is also pretty heartbreaking. We've said multiple times of how different times were back then. Uh In the book, it was mentioned many a times When Evelyn and Celia were arguing, Celia would be like, oh, let's just come out. Let's do this. And it was 
glossed over to a degree in the book of like, we could go to jail for this. Like, let's keep our heads. Let's throw them off our scent. Let's not come out. So, you know, I love to tie my books together. Mm -hmm. I recently read my first nonfiction book of the year, The Onfit Heiress, which was about an heiress whose mother had basically manipulated the situation to say she was crazy or messed up or over-sexualized or all these excuses to get doctors to sterilize her, right? So that's what that book was about. Because I wanted, I knew where I wanted to go with this question. I looked up homosexuality laws in California in the 50s, and I found a whole page kind of dedicated to just the history of the laws. So it went even further back in the 50s. And I found that in 1909, California passed a law providing the possible sterilization of moral or sexual perverts. And by 1948, California had the most sterilization cases of any state. Only as soon as 1951 was the law amended to remove perversion as a ground for sterilization. And that's all straight from the Wikipedia page. That's only, I think, nine years. I think this book, or maybe less, I think this book was set in the late 50s. So that's basically like just shortly before this book takes place, where it is like grounds for sterilization to be homosexual at all because it's a perversion. On that same Wikipedia page, it doesn't mention anything else really until the mid-70s where it finally talks about decriminalizing sexual activity between same-sex couples. So this was like a real serious thing. Super serious. Why do you think Celia was begging for them to go public, even being reminded of the possibility of jail time? And why was she so insistent? Did you want Evelyn to risk it all in a grand gesture to prove her love? Or do you think she was smart to keep it under wraps? And to go to great lengths to throw people off their scent. Not knowing that information, I wanted them to just rip the Band-Aid off and just go public. Because they could have been groundbreaking. They could have changed things earlier. You know, Stonewall was still a decade away from this happening. And I was hoping that maybe they could... Normalize it, destigmatize it. Yeah, just... Make an example of themselves in a good way. Obviously, we know that that's not the case. We know that that's not what happened in American history and pop culture and and things like that. But I was still hopeful that that's what would happen in this book, and this story. Knowing that, though, I probably wouldn't have hoped for that. I probably would have been more in line with saying, no, keep throwing them off your scent. Keep hiding. Keep... Which is heartbreaking. It is. Because nobody should have to worry about being sterilized against their will. Like that kind of thing. But even further, like, it just de-romanticizes, as a way to put it terribly, the whole notion of it. Like, do we hide and get to stay together? Or do we shout our love from the rooftops and then do jail time and can never be together again in the hopes of making it better for someone. You hide. Right. That's what I would do. Because <laughs> like, you're selfish for love. Selfish for love. 
That's yeah, heartbreaking. It is. But thankfully, things are a lot better now. Um, and I hope it continues that way for the generations to come and that we keep becoming more accepting. I guess I'm very naive because I had no idea that that was a thing. I feel like Celia was much more wounded and heartbroken than we ever really got to know because we didn't get her perspective. We didn't. And so I think for her to like want that risk taken to prove her love showed how insecure she was, which is heartbreaking. Like, I need you to prove to me that you would get thrown in jail for me, that you would throw your reputation away, your career away. But then, And how... I don't know if she really truly thought of the repercussions. I don't think she did, because how pissed would she be? If, it, if she did it. Yeah. But and that then... was all that could have convinced her of her love. You know what I mean? She would never be satisfied. Which is heartbreaking. Yeah. I feel bad for her. Yeah. She was also damaged goods, I think. She Do had... not call a woman damaged goods. Well, I, I don't mean it in the sense that she had some baggage. How about that? Does, does that sound better? I'll take it. She needed therapy. How about that? Everyone needed therapy. They do. Everyone needs therapy. They do. De-stigmatize mental health. Happy Mental Health Awareness Month. Thank you for your service. You're welcome for my service. So we finally learn at the end of the book, which is one of my favorite twists of this book, um, why Evelyn wanted Monique to write this tell-all. Evelyn knew this would make Monique a lot of money. And this was her way of making amends because she came across, Evelyn came across an accident in front of Harry's house when Harry was in the driver's seat unconscious and the passenger was dead. She moved Harry, replaced him with the dead passenger so Harry wouldn't get busted for drunk driving. That passenger, we found out, was Harry's new lover after John Braverman died. It was also Monique's father. Dun, dun, dun. Did this surprise you? That did surprise me. Okay. Did you see that coming at all? No. Okay, I didn't either. I was, I was definitely shocked by this. It didn't even go quite the way I thought it would. I thought the whole purpose of Monique was to help and do and like commit the act of an assisted suicide. Oh. After her thing. But why would you think Monique specifically then if that was the case? Because she wrote the thing on it. Oh. I thought that was enough. Oh, okay. She she yeah, wrote yeah. an article about yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. I, I kind of vaguely remember kind of going along those same yeah. lines as well. Okay. And so is the article. So I thought she really wanted that help. Was a little red which herring. Which is weird. Yeah. A little red herring. But I did not see it being like so much yeah. ensnared and just twisted in together which that kind of broke my heart a lot honestly for monique yeah yeah and i mean just because of how idyllic she thought her parents were yeah it's a lot to unpack to think your parents have a perfect marriage and find out they're cheating yeah regardless of who with whom is terrible honestly that's that's difficult especially 20 some odd years later yeah. When one of them or when the person who was cheating is dead and cannot even defend themselves. Right. Yeah. And you can't even hear it directly from them. You can't hear their side of the story. 
you can't hear anything. That would be really hard to deal with. I and, feel bad for yeah. Monique. And honestly, you can't, you can't have a conversation about this at all. Like there's nothing. You just have to sit with that anger and yeah. those feelings. That was kind of unfair. Do you th- are you glad Evelyn did that and told her? I was very torn. On one hand, I think that she deserved to know. On the other hand, I don't think that she needed to know. Um, oftentimes, there were tabloid articles about Evelyn interspersed into her stories. Did you enjoy seeing both sides of the real story, according to Evelyn, versus how it was portrayed in the media? And how does that make you rethink what we, quote unquote, know about celebrities now? Yeah, I I thought it was interesting because it's like Britney Spears. Let's talk about Britney Spears. (sighs) That poor woman, right? Mm -hmm. She is the epitome of just eaten alive by the media. But yet, I don't think we know half of what goes on. No, absolutely In her not. life. And I mean, the the articles and the, the, everything that's written online about her, every video about her, um, it's pretty much the same thing. I equate that almost to our modern day Evelyn Hugo in the sense of it's kind of skewed. You have this one view, mm-hmm. the tabloid, the paparazzi view, and then there's the view of what is happening behind closed doors in Britney Spears's house with her tiny little furniture. <laughs> okay, so the difference, though, Britney gets a little sketchy. Evelyn, it seemed almost that this was another avenue she was manipulating. Like, she often manipulated her husband's. But then she would want the the media to portray her a certain way and she would do something. Like she knew her little housekeeper was a snitch. So she put on a big show for her one time. You don't think Britney's manipulated? Look at 2007. No, I think Britney's manipulated. I don't no, think no, no, Britney's no. the manipulator. No, I think she's the, been the manipulator. Look at 2007 when she went cry cry. You don't think that was manipulating? No, I think she really went crazy. You do? Yeah. Uh, and I think she's been heavily medicated ever since. Maybe. I think she's still heavily medicated and it's bad and scary. Have you seen her TikToks lately? Yeah, it's terrifying. It is a little bit. I feel bad for her. Let's not talk about Britney anymore. Okay. That was a bad example. I do love me some Britney, though. I do, too. Yeah. But I feel bad for her. But... We won't talk about her. I feel that it was a good perspective to have that sort of balance to see what she was doing in the media. What did you think? I'll go out and say it. It blows my mind that anybody anywhere trusts the media ever. Sure. That's another great example of it. It's fiction, yes. I think things get skewed. The media puts whatever they want. They don't know the full story. They can be manipulated, obviously. All these things. For anyone to like take what is in the media or tabloids as fact, freaking blows my mind. A lot. We have not learned yet? No? Still no? I would wholeheartedly agree, especially when it comes to entertainment. Take everything with a grain of salt. 
you know, a lot of the celebrities have been given a voice recently with social media platforms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where they can now stick up for themselves straight to their fans with Twitter and Instagram and all of those social media platforms and say, no, this is what People Magazine has on the cover of this week's issue, but what they're saying is not the truth at all, you know? To a degree, I get that. I don't know if you've heard of her. There's this one um, lyrical genius. Her name is Taylor Swift. No, I haven't heard of her. And, well, it was the craziest thing a few years ago. There was a bit of controversy about whether she agreed to have another rapper use her name in a song or not. Oh. And, yes, everyone has social media and can give their side of the story, but then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and everyone has the receipts, if you will, but it's all edited to hell. And and I think that that makes it worse. Yes, the individuals maybe get to speak their piece, which may or may not be manipulated to make them look good. And why wouldn't they want to make themselves look good? Why would it be the truth every time? Yeah. But then in addition to that, now there are hashtags that are hashtag canceled Taylor Swift going viral and trending globally. That fucks a person up. Yeah. That's enough to make you disappear off the grid for a year plus while writing the best album of all time called Reputation. But still... It's that was a great album. <laughs> it was a it great was my album. favorite album. So, well, social media is nice in that people can give their side of the stories, as Taylor still does in her ongoing, you know, legal battle and dispute for the rights to her own music with Scooter Braun. It's great that she has a spot to give her voice. That's not just People Magazine, but still, these things get skewed, and then you have like the whole mob coming after you if things go wrong, and it can. Tilt either way so quickly. It can. And, you know, while it is great to be able to share your side of the story, if you say something that the crowd doesn't like, your host. And. Quickly. It's just a mess. Do you remember? I know that you remember. But while you're talking about all of this, I just was recalling when Kanye lost his shit on the VMA. Was it the VMAs or? Mm-hmm. Uh, on her oh man that was so awkward embarrassing and it was just so cringeworthy and and thank you for joining this episode of taylor swift on the lost chill <laughs> so to continue oh. our off topicness besides taylor swift kimmy that's rude no 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 We've already just talked about, uh, we just went on a 10-minute tangent on Taylor Swift. So besides Taylor Swift, tell me if you had the opportunity to interview one celebrity, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Don't death glare me. It would be Blake Lively, and I would say, one, can you please introduce me to Taylor Swift? Oh, dear Lord. Two, what's it like? To hear every Taylor Swift song I just first. rolled my eyes so hard I saw my Three, freaking brain. What's it like to have oh your literal flesh and blood offspring oh. introduce a Taylor Swift song on the Reputation album? Gorgeous. 
Isn't that so cute? See, I do listen to Taylor Swift. Taylor. You're rude. I took you to that tour. You didn't take me. I went. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to have to check my receipts for this, but I'm pretty sure I took her. And I Um, paid you. um, Taylor, if you're listening, Uh, my daughter is available for your next album, Woodvale, even though that's probably already finished and recorded. Anyways, uh, what celebrity would you meet in an interview? That was not a real answer. Why? Because that's centered all around Taylor. Okay, no, no, no. How Andrea offended... Swift. She's not a celebrity. <laughs> yes, she is. In my circles. <laughs> How offended would Blake Lively be if you're like, Hey, Blake, I want to interview you, but let's talk about Tay this entire time. So, no, it would genuinely be Blake Lively for a number of reasons. She starred in... A great movie about one of my favorite series called The Sisterhood of the Traveling Band. I love Gossip Girl. I love Blake Lively. I would probably ask about Taylor and I would say, I would apologize. I love Blake for Blake. I could not talk to Blake without asking about Taylor. I would figure as much. She's married to my man crush. What celebrity would you interview? (sighs) Taylor Swiss. Taylor Swift. <laughs> I haven't heard of her. She is from the Swiss cheese family. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, what would you ask Taylor Swift? How many holes are in her cheese? <laughs> that sounded way dirtier than I intended it to. Oh I'm blushing. Oh, I'm blushing. You shouldn't be after what you just did to that wine glass. Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I truly don't know. I could do some king. I don't know. Maybe. <sighs> I don't have like a. I wrote this question. I know. And I didn't even think about it. You love celebrities a lot more than me, too. I do. Why don't you interview Ryan Reynolds, then? And we can, like, tag team them. That would be so cute, because I do love Ryan Reynolds, and he's a superhero. And, yeah, he's one of my... I wouldn't say one of my favorite superheroes, but he's, he's a good superhero. I don't know. I haven't really talked about it on the show, but I have ultimate nerdiness and have... Some comic book characters, superheroes tattooed on my arm, not Marvel. So he might be upset about that. Oh, well. Do you want to just make our next episode about Taylor Swift songs? No. Oh. Albums? No. Are you sure? Okay. Hmm. Okay. So, (laughs) Katie typically is into fast-paced thrillers and horrors, but... She still enjoys historical fiction and contemporary fiction as well. Would you, Katie, recommend this to like-minded readers? Yes. That is all. Okay. Thank you for your service. You're welcome for my service. Kimmy enjoys books that make her feel all the feels. She doesn't mind books that switch pace in her typical genre as historical fiction, but she can pretty much enjoy anything from most realms of fiction would you recommend this book to readers like yourself yes 
That's all. <laughs> We've talked about it enough. We're done talking. I think we have said enough for the past however many minutes and the past however minutes have spoken our opinions. It's well paced. It like I don't think too fast or too slow. Like it's yeah. definitely not heart racing or anything. No. But it keeps you interested. It's unique. It is. There's twists. Yes. What's not to love? Yeah. Uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid, if you have not checked out any of her books yet, um, you definitely should, especially these ones that intertwine the uh, Malibu Rising that's coming out later this summer, and then Daisy uh, Jones and the Six. And then Evelyn. Uh, All three of these books, well, we haven't read Malibu Rising, but we're assuming it's going to be good as well. But the two that we've read so far, um, bangers. Bangers. (laughs) Bangers. <laughs> Shout out to our friend Bang for your book. Yep. We like that term. <laughs> if you can't tell. So do you have anything left to say about this book? Read the acknowledgments. Or don't. Or do. Or just listen to what Kimmy had to say about it and then it's like you read it. But she has good stuff for her husband too. She likes him. We hope you enjoyed hearing <laughs> our thoughts. <laughs> Stop it. We hope that you enjoyed hearing our thoughts on the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. We want to hear your thoughts too. Please reach out to us on social media at The Lost Chill. Follow us and all week we will talk about it. There's a day for every husband, but that's probably not what we'll do because that'd be weird. But we might. Who knows? Life's weird. Oh, should we pick like celebrities that we think would look like them? If you so feel inclined, you run that shit. Yeah, I don't feel like that. Okay, then no. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about ooh, it. Maybe yeah. we'll pick like animals that represent each Stop husband. Stop it. No. I like dogs. So Harry's going to be a dog. What are the rest of them going to be? What's Ain't one night stand Riviera going to be? Nope, his name's not Riviera. Riva. What's one night Mick going to be? Mickadicks. <laughs> Mickadicks? What animal is that? My goodness. That sounds like the dollar menu. (laughs) I need to go home now. You can also find out more about us in this show along with blog posts at thelostchill.com. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes come out every Tuesday morning just in time to have us some coffee. Or a mimosa. Ooh, or a bellini. Oh, I like those. Oh, me too. Next week, we will be talking about The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Following that will be another classic and another book chosen by our listeners, 1984 by George Orwell. Be sure to check out our Instagram and Facebook to know all of our upcoming books, including those that will be occurring and spoken about in June. (laughs) If you're enjoying The Lost Chill, please leave us a review wherever you listen to us. We'd be so grateful if you did. We can't wait to hear your thoughts about this book. We are so thankful for everyone who has tuned into our show and keeps coming back too. See you next time. Bye. Bye.